Welcome to the Bethesda Christian Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit yourbcc.org or download our mobile app from the App Store. Every single week, at the close of those great connections with our uh, kids who can't be in children's church right now, they tell us to read our Bible, love one another, share Jesus, right? But read your Bible. Read your Bible. That's, that's the important key to being fed every single day. Read your Bible. The Bible's full of wisdom, right? It's full of all sorts of wisdom, and it helps us. And it has great topics that are natural, practical life help, but also spiritual. There's all kinds of uh, topics in the Bible for people who are philosophers and for people who are just like us, everyday people. There's things about birth and death and everything in between. There's topics like uh, grace, faith. There's the first coming of Jesus that's told about in the Old Testament and the New Testament. There's being born again, baptism, being filled with the Holy Spirit, sanctification, the second coming of Jesus. Books have been written about all of these topics. As a matter of fact, just this morning, Brother Bill gave me a book on one of these topics. There's been volumes written on uh, baptism or the second coming of Jesus or any one of these. Because they're all fascinating. And we could write and write about any one of them. And there's even more than the ones that I mentioned. And I'd like to know about all of them. And that's why I get into the Bible. But yet there's topics in the Bible that I'm a little bit more passionate about. They just, they reach out to me a little bit more than the others. And... I might have some that I'd call favorites. And maybe you do too. Maybe there's just a topic in the Bible you like to read about. And one of them for me, one of my favorites is the topic that we heard, this wonderful introduction to this morning by Mr. Rob Susan in the treehouse. And that is the resurrection. The resurrection. It's a fascinating topic. Think about it. The idea of life after death. That we have our bodies restored. The Old Testament character Job spoke about a resurrection. In Job chapter 14, verse 14, Job sort of questioned the whole idea. He said, if someone dies, will they live again? All the days of my hard service, I will wait for my renewal to come. And so Job Job was sort of questioning this idea. Could there be a resurrection? But then later, as Job was talking to his friends, he declared it. He said it really plainly in Job 19, 25 and 26. Job said, I know that my Redeemer lives and that in the end, he'll stand on the earth. And after my skin has been destroyed, yet in my flesh, I will see God. Think about that. This man, Job, said, 
after his skin has been destroyed, after he's gone to the grave and deteriorated, yet in his flesh he would see God. That's an amazing, amazing idea. I don't even know if he understood it. But the Jews believed it. The Jewish faith believed in a resurrection. Well, at least some of them did. As you might know, there was different sects in the Jewish faith. There was the sect or the group of the Pharisees. There was another group called the Sadducees. And the Pharisees believed in the resurrection of the dead. But the Sadducees, they didn't. And from time to time, these two groups would butt heads over this. And they would argue about it. And they even questioned Jesus about it. Well, at least the Sadducees did. They questioned Jesus. And they once asked about a woman who lost her husband. And they said, Jesus, this woman, her husband died, so she married again. But they didn't leave the example right there. They were trying to put Jesus on the spot and trick him. So they said, well, the second husband died and the third husband died until she was on husband number seven. And, boy, I bet he was shaking in his shoes. But they asked the question, now Jesus... Whose husband is she going to have in the resurrection? Now, the way Jesus answered revealed some things. But he didn't deny the idea of a resurrection. He affirmed it. And this is Matthew's Gospel, chapter 22, verses 29 to 32. In this situation where Jesus was questioned, Jesus replied, You are in error because you do not know the scriptures. They weren't reading their Bibles. You do not know the scriptures or the power of God. At the resurrection, people will neither marry nor be given in marriage. They will be like the angels in heaven. But about the resurrection of the dead, have you not read what God said to you? I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. He's not the God of the dead, but the living God's the dead, God's the, the God of the living. Now, three Gospels recorded this incident that I just described to you. The Gospels of Matthew and Mark and Luke. But John's Gospel, it doesn't touch on this incident, but it gives us really deeper and more insight into the resurrection. John, as you know, and we've talked about, he didn't record as many incidents in Jesus' life. The, the incidents that he did record, he gives us more detail. So he's got a great gospel to read. And as we've been talking, uh, we, we've been, for the past number of weeks, talking about these phrases that Jesus used, I am. These sayings that began with these two words, I am, and they're recorded in God, John's gospel. And he gives us great detail. John recorded Jesus using this word multiple times where Jesus declared his divinity. He said, before Abraham, I am. And he connected himself with God, the, the living God. And Jesus said, I am in the Father. Again, equating himself with God. And he, he went on with sayings like, I am the light of the world, the bread of life. I'm the way and the truth in the life. And last week we heard with 
Our new minister, Noah, he talked to us about I am the vine. The true vine. Now, in that, when Jesus said that, he distinguished himself. Remember, Noah talking about this. Jesus distinguished himself from Old Covenant Judaism, where the Jews had been called the vine of God, or the vineyard. And that was the Old Covenant. But now Jesus was saying, I'm the true vine. I'm the one that you need to connect with. You can't connect with all these old ways of making yourself righteous before God, because Jesus was the and is the only way. So he said, I'm the true vine, the only way. You can't rely on your works to get eternal life. Now, all of these I am sayings, they have to do with eternal life. And that's what Jesus came to talk about after all. And that's what he did by dying on the cross. He won for us all eternal life. But in each one of his I am sayings, there is also practical life application. If we don't get something practical out of the word of God, then how does it, how does it work with us as we live our lives here on the earth? But there was, there, there was practical things from Jesus saying, I am. He said, I am God. Well, receive him as God. I'm the light of the world. And what else did he say? You are the light of the world. So share that light. That's practical. Tell others about eternal life. He said, I'm the bread of life. Feed on his word. We talked about how living on God's word is essential. And he, he is the way. He is the way to eternal life. But Jesus is also the way through this life on this earth. So there's practical points that we can gain from this. And I'm the true vine. We heard last week, well, if we abide in him and he abides in us, then what? Bear fruit. Bear fruit for the kingdom of God. Now this morning, we talk about the resurrection of the dead. Now isn't that for the future? Can there be anything practical in the resurrection for life right now? For today? And if so, what is that? Well, let's find out. We had a great introduction from the treehouse, from John chapter 11. And in John chapter 11, this is where Jesus spoke about the resurrection. And he didn't just speak about it, he demonstrated it. See, John 11 is the famous passage about Lazarus. And we heard that Lazarus was a friend of Jesus. He had two sisters, Martha and Mary. They were also friends of Jesus. When Lazarus fell ill, what did they do? Well, they did what we should do. They reached out to Jesus. So they sent a messenger to Jesus because Jesus was not in their little town of Bethany at the time. And when Jesus received the message that his friend Lazarus was ill, he turned around and ran back to Bethany. No, that's not what he did. He actually didn't do anything. Jesus seemed to kind of stall out and wait. And that seemed really odd. Well, finally, after Jesus had stalled for about two days, he said to his disciples, now we're going to go. We're going to the house of our friend Lazarus, who has died. And Jesus plainly told him, Lazarus has died. 
Well, it took him a little while to get to this little town of Bethany. And when Jesus arrived in Bethany, where Lazarus lived, his sister Martha came out to meet Jesus, and she was distraught. She was mourning the loss of her brother. Now, let's read what occurred. This is John chapter 11, and it's verses 21 to 27. We already heard a little bit of this. Verse 21, Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. This is where, see the Jewish faith, they believed in this idea of a resurrection. Well, Jesus went on. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who has come into the world. So right here, Jesus affirmed the idea that there's going to be a resurrection. He said, Martha, your brother will rise again. And Martha agreed, yes, I know. But Jesus continued, I am the resurrection. He said, I am. I'm the resurrection and I am the life. Like that Old Testament vine, which became a reality in Jesus. The resurrection that was spoke about in the Old Testament by people like Job, it occurs in Christ alone, in Jesus. The reality of the resurrection is a fact. Believe in me, he said, and even though you die, you will live and never die. That is fascinating. It's amazing. And then he questioned Martha. Do you believe it? Do you believe? And she said, yes. And she wasn't saying, I believe in the resurrection. She said, I believe in you. That you, you're the one. You're the Messiah, the anointed one, the Savior. You're the one who's come into the world to save us. So do you want to live forever? You want to live forever, not as a disembodied spirit, but as Job said in the Old Testament, in your flesh, immortal. I know I do. And that is just beyond my comprehension when I think about it. And how is that achieved? Believe in Jesus. Now, to show that he had the power to do this, that he had the power over death, he said to those at the tomb of Lazarus, roll away the stone. But it had been four days. Remember, Jesus stalled for a couple days. Then it took him a couple of days to get there. This has been four days. And Lazarus' sister protested, no, don't do it, Lord. Lord, it's been four days, and there's going to be a stench. Jesus looked at her and said, Martha, didn't I tell you to believe? And you will see the glory of God. So then Jesus cried out, like we've already seen Jesus cried out, Lazarus, come out. And Lazarus came walking out of that grave, still wrapped in the grave cloths. 
But he was resurrected. He was alive. He came back to life after four days in the grave. Jesus has the power to do it. Jesus has the power over death. And he proved it by raising Lazarus from the dead. And he proved it when he walked out of his own tomb. When he walked out alive. And he was resurrected. Spirit and soul reunited with body. But again, what does that have to do with living life today? Isn't that just something we can think about in the future, for the future? Well, let's read a little more about it. Paul, the New Testament apostle, he tells us all about the resurrection. And he wrote in most of his letters something about the resurrection. But it's in his first letter to the church in the city of Corinth where to me, it's just one of my favorite chapters in the whole Bible. 1 Corinthians 15. I, I love it. I love reading about it. And it's because it's such a great thing. And at this church, at this church in Corinth where Paul wrote, it was a culture not unlike ours. The culture was steeped in hedonism. There was the temple to Aphrodite where it was full of male and female prostitutes and there were many transient visitors through that town because it had two ports and they would come in and go out and it was a city of entertainment. They had sporting events that rivaled the Olympics there in the city of Corinth. Now, Christian might be challenged by such a culture and I think we can relate to that. And it seems that the church in Corinth was being challenged. There were some that were slipping away from the gospel of Jesus Christ. They were being challenged. They were moving away from the basics, the fundamentals, the essentials. Basics like the resurrection. It is an essential. We talked about that on Easter Sunday. In the opening lines of 1 Corinthians 15, Paul affirms the resurrection. And he said it's essential to the gospel. Jesus proved it. How? He was raised from the dead. Don't miss this. Do not miss it. Jesus was raised from the dead. That proved it. Do not, do, do not slip away from this foundation. And then in verse 12, Paul wrote, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? See, they were questioning it. They were slipping from their faith. Evidently, some were denying that there even was a resurrection. So the apostle wrote at length, the entire chapter. And he said, if Christ isn't raised from the dead, he can't save anyone. But he is the resurrection. He embodies it. He's the living resurrection. He can save everyone. And the resurrection is proof of his power and his divinity. Yet some still deny it. Some deny it. When we get to about verse 30, Paul wrote, why would I put myself in danger? Well, I face death every day. And I fought wild beasts in, in the city of Ephesus. Why would I do these things if there were no resurrection of the dead? And then in verse 34, he says, just, he's writing very sternly and straightforwardly. Come back to your senses. You've lost your senses. You've walked away from the fundamentals of the faith. You're denying the resurrection. It's true. Come back to your senses. And then he went on to explain this. How can it be? He said, it's brought about by the power of God. He can do it. 
like a dead seed. He uses an example. And I know it's weak because it's here in the natural, but he said a seed is dead. And when you put it in the ground, it comes to life. The power of God brings it to life. And it gets a new body. And that's how it is in the resurrection of the dead. That's how it is for the flesh. There a seed remains. Do I understand that completely? I don't understand completely how a seed of our flesh remains, but God knows. And uh, Jesus said, I am, I am God. He has the power of it. And he can bring mortality to immortality. He can bring the corruptible flesh, like what was happening with Lazarus, back to the incorruptible, which is going to be for forever. Now, he raised Lazarus from the dead, and Lazarus wasn't incorruptible at that time. But for us, it's going to be forever incorruptible. And that's going to come about at the end of time when death is swallowed up in victory, the apostle wrote. And Paul concluded with verse 57. 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty-seven, And he, he wrote, but thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. This man wrote 56 verses about the resurrection. And then he concludes by saying, it's Jesus. It's through Jesus we have the victory over death. It comes from our Lord Jesus Christ because of the resurrection. The whole chapter is devoted to this idea of the resurrection. But again, where's the practical? He's just talking about the future. But there's one more verse to go. One more verse. 1 Corinthians 15, 58. And it says this. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Therefore, the last verse of 1 Corinthians 15 Begins with therefore. What's it there for? Well, it's there for the preceding 57 verses that are all about the resurrection. Therefore, the, the word means for that reason, for the reason of the resurrection. Now, here's the here and now. Here's the practical. Because of the resurrection, for the reason of the resurrection, stand firm. Stand firm in your faith. This was a group of people that were getting weak and they were slipping. They were doubting. Stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourself to the work of the Lord. This is practical life application. Has your faith been tested? Has your faith been tested even recently in the environment that you work in and all that's going on in the world, in society? In culture, is it trying to get you to deny Jesus? To deny even his resurrection? Oh, that's phony baloney. Oh, why do you believe that stuff? You know, we live in a culture that it doesn't honor life. It worships death. I, I, I cannot understand why zombie apocalypse is a genre of entertainment. Zombie apocalypse movies and TV series and books... And all of it, you know, the walking dead, it's, it's everywhere. And it, it seems to be revered and honored. Our society honors death. But think about abortion. You know, 
the U.S. since 1970 has, has had nearly 50 million abortions. And that's one country in the world. And you know what? The United States doesn't even lead the world. The, the, the whole world seems to be about death. I, I walked into a store yesterday. I walked into a store and you know what I was greeted by? Two talking skeletons. Yeah, they got this evil laugh. Oh, 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 oh. And, you know, they're saying things like, oh, creature of the dark or whatever, creature of the dead. I'm not a creature of the dead. I don't want to be greeted with a creepy laugh. And then I'm thinking, you know, October's coming. Yes, all right, now I get it. You know, the holiday that showcases death. Killing and death. They just seem to be honored and, and, and almost worshipped in our culture. And Christians who celebrate Jesus, that we celebrate life, we're mocked and we're ridiculed and we're told that we're, we're out of touch and all of that. But the apostle wrote, and he wrote to people who were slipping in their faith, we have victory over death. Brothers and sisters, stand firm. And this is an interesting word. I found it amazingly interesting. Stand firm. In the Greek, it means sit down. It, it primarily means stay seated. In other words, firmly fixed. Firmly fixed. Securely planted. Don't be moved by the culture of death around us. You got the victory over death. You have the victory over, the de over death and you can bank on the resurrection. It's not just a concept. It's not just an idea. It's not something made up. The, the resurrection is Jesus. And you know him. You know him. So stand firmly then. Stand firmly. Fixed in the face of those who would mock you for your faith and put you down. Those who worship death. And, they, and they'll try to pull you down. And, and then Paul went on and he said, let nothing move you. It's a, it's a synonym to what he had just said. He emphasized standing firm with this synonym that literally means not to be moved from its place. So he's reiterating this. Boy, they must have really been getting pushed in their faith in that city of Corinth. And now Paul's saying, be like a, like a fixture mounted in concrete. Do not move. See, this man knew the culture. He saw the culture, the pleasure-seeking culture, the, all the entertainment, the, uh, the illicit sex people that uh, were turning from their faith, being drawn back into that. Some even doubting that Jesus raised from the dead. So he reminds them, this is a cornerstone of your faith. It's essential to your faith. Jesus rose from the dead. And then he encourages, don't waver in that. Do not waver in that. Be unmovable. You know, all the junk of the world, all the filth of the world is temporary. It's not going to last. It's fleeting. It's completely fleeting. It has zero lasting value. But the resurrection, the resurrection to life, is forever. That is forever. I mean, you can let that difference sink in. Don't be shaken from your footing. Be unmovable. Live the resurrection now. Live it now and stand firm in your faith because it's a guaranteed fact. Let nothing move you. And then Paul says, always give yourself to the work of the Lord. And there's some practical advice. Why? What's this about? 
Why, why would we give ourselves over to, to the, the work of the Lord, always abound in the work of the Lord? Because of the resurrection. Because of the resurrection. Because of the resurrection, you're victorious. You're a winner. You're a conqueror. You're victorious over death. Now always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord. Because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Now what is this work of the Lord and our labor in the Lord? What is that all about? We can interpret it very plainly, very straightforwardly. To mean that our work in the Lord is everything we do each day. Paul wrote something similar to the church in uh, the city of Colossae. In in the letter to the Colossians, the the context here was about a slave working for a master. And Paul wrote, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. That's uh, Colossians 3.23. And we can apply that to our daily work, can't we? That everything we do, from the moment we get up to the moment we lay our heads down, it's all about working for the Lord. It's all devoted to him. It's all devoted to our Savior who gave his life for us. For your labor in the Lord is not in vain. In other words, it's not worthless. Everything in this world, it's, it's vain. It's temporary. It has no lasting worth or value, but Christ in his resurrection is worth everything. Your labor in the Lord is not in vain. It's not worthless. And that's everything, everything we do. That's a simple and straightforward interpretation. Everything we do is for the Lord. And remember that. Remember that. Everything. Remember that when you're surrounded by and you're lured by a corrupt culture. Remember that when you're tempted to deny the things that are right here in his word. Remember that. All work in the Lord. He's right there with us in everything we do. But there's another way to look at this too. There's another way to interpret, give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord. I just look back to last week and remember that Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you'll bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Now, that was an image we heard about last week. You and Jesus, Jesus in you. There's this connection. Now, let's see these words. Let's see these words. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord in the same way. And what does that mean? Always give yourselves to the work of the Lord in you. Not the other way around. Not us doing some work. Don't think about it necessarily as you doing something. But think about it as the Lord doing something in you. Always give yourselves to the work of the Lord in you. Consider what God might be doing in you, even right now, in these crazy trying times. Is God working something in you? Don't buck it. Don't resist it. Do not kick back against it. Give yourselves over to the work of the Lord. Jesus died for you. He conquered death. He proved that he is God Almighty. Uh, He's all-powerful. He did that by rising from the dead and walking out of that tomb. Let him work in you. Let him abide in you. This is very parallel to what he was saying about the vine. 
And yes, sometimes it feels painful, doesn't it, when God is working in us. Pruning. But what's it for? Bearing much fruit. Bearing much fruit for the kingdom. There's practical. Let Jesus work in you. Whether it's pruning or or discipline. Whether it's pulling you out of your comfort zone, let him work in you. Maybe he's moving you to be bolder for him. To speak more about your faith. And the, the, the foundations and the fundamentals and the reality of what Jesus has done for you. Maybe he's working that in you. That, that instead of being lured by the culture that we are. We're, we're talking to the culture about the truth. Maybe he's working that in you. Not to be ashamed of the gospel. Maybe he's working, showing love for others. Showing love to another who hurt you. Maybe he's working something like forgiveness in you. You've got to forgive someone who's, who's hurt you. Not to repay evil with evil. Whatever it is, whatever the Lord's doing in you, give yourselves over to the work of the Lord in you. Because that labor is not in vain. That's eternal. That's something that lasts forever. It has value beyond this world. And I don't know that there's anything more practical than that. There's nothing more practical than gaining eternal life and holding something that has eternal value. So give yourselves over to it always, to the work of the Lord. He's alive. Jesus is alive. He's resurrected. He is the resurrection. And he promises. He promises the same resurrection for you. Resurrection and life eternal. Eternal. Let's stand as we close our service this morning. Do you believe this? Jesus asked a simple question to Martha. Do you believe? Do you believe it? Have you received the guarantee of eternal life? I talked with someone yesterday and they, I, I asked a simple question. I didn't ask the question. I said, it's easier, it's easier to die when you know where you're going. And this person said, well, I know where I'm going. I think. I said, I think. I said, you know, you can know for sure. And so he asked, well, how? Really? There's always something, right? There's always something that could be behind me. And I said, Jesus, Jesus. I said, he did everything. He took care of everything. Well, you need to, you need to believe it. And I, I said, Jesus didn't die for nothing. He died for you. And also, I was able to share the resurrection. See, in Christ, that we can all be made alive. We don't have to fear death. Because without Jesus, we die in our sin. We're dead. We're dead in a sense. We're dead in a sense without Jesus. We're kind of like the walking dead. The the culture glorifies this zombie thing. But without Jesus, that's kind of the state of everyone. They're, They're walking dead. But Jesus is the resurrection and the life. And if you've never believed in him, he's calling you today. He is. He's reaching out to you. You're not listening to this if you're listening uh, through uh, the online connection or you're listening here and you've never really truly believed this. Jesus is talking to you today. It's not by an accident that you're hearing this. And now to come out of this state of walking dead and to be alive, 
He said, believe. Just like he called Lazarus, he's calling you. Come on out. Come on out and live. Come on, I'm the life. And live eternally. Live eternally. Forever. Give yourself over to it. If he's calling you. And if you've been called and you've trusted Jesus for a long time. Or even a short time. Give yourself over to the work he's doing in you. Let's pray. Father, God, in the name of Jesus, the glorified, mighty, all-powerful one who is alive, and he's, he's, he's the resurrection and the life. God, I just pray if there's anyone who for the very first time they believe that, Lord, that they've, they've finally seen a, and they've, they've felt your presence, they know, Lord, I just pray that they would turn from their, their ways, God, that they would say, I need Jesus and walk away from that culture, the sin, and just put their life in Christ. Lord, I pray that there would be a repentance and a turning away and a, and a turning to Jesus. He is the resurrection and the life, Lord. Receive those. Receive them, God. Bless them with that assurance, God. Uh, thank you for that, Lord. Uh, thank you. And for all who have called on your name, God, and have trusted you and believe in you, God, we know we still walk this earth working us. Help us, God. Help us to give ourselves over to the work you do in us. If we're bucking it, Lord, if we're resisting, and even if we're being drawn back to that culture, God, help us, Lord, help us. God, I pray that you would just move upon our hearts, soften our hearts, to be open and receptive to what you would have and what you would do. And help us to remember every day, every day, Jesus, you're watching, you're with us, and our work is for you. Thank you, God. Thank you. Bless your people now. Bless them as they go. God, bless them. Keep your hand upon them. And Lord, use us this week. Use us. Use us, God, to advance your kingdom. Put people in our path that we can share this truth with, the truth of our Christ and our Lord alive. Thank you for that, God. We ask it all in that powerful, wonderful name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.